It's good to see you all this morning. Good to be gathered in the house of the Lord. Before we turn to God's Word, just a a, a couple things real quickly. You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 3. And if you need a Bible, raise your hands. We got um, brothers and sisters who are uh, distributing Bibles this morning. So just raise your hand and keep your hand raised, and uh, we'll be happy uh, to give you a Bible this morning. And if you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Right now, you own one, so please take it, treasure it, uh, write your name in it, uh, make it your own. Uh, let let that book own you as well. Amen. Well, uh, again, another announcement before we turn to the sermon. Um, praise God! This is a church full of really gifted people, and uh, most of them are, are low key about wonderful things that they're doing. Uh, so we have a number of folks in the congregation who are actually published authors. Uh, and unless you ask them or you happen to sort of Google them and find out, uh, you would never know it. Last week sometime was, I think, Multicultural Children's Book Day or something like that. Anybody know anything about that? I think I got the name wrong, but it's Multicultural and it's Children's Books. And uh, there's a brother who has just published a new children's book called The Adventures of Lula and Buso. Uh, our brother Mubuso Zamchia. Amen. There's a website uh, and a book, which he, he showed me last week but didn't give his pastor a copy. So I told him he can't take the Lord's Supper this morning. <laughs> uh, but do check out the website. Check out the book. Encourage our brother. Encourage others who are around here secretly using gifts uh, for the glory of God and not telling anybody. Amen? Amen. All right, one more thing so I can get it out of my system. I was going to save it for the sermon. It ain't actually in the sermon, but I was going to put it in there. But anyway, I get it out of my system real quick. Um, I praise God that he has made us a diverse church family. That there are people here from about 20 nationalities, ethnicities. Um, yeah, just God, it, it just demonstrates how God has kept his word to make for himself one new people out of all the peoples on the earth, right? But now here's the thing, in, in sort of the Lord's churches, when they are diverse as they are supposed to be and so on, um, that don't necessarily mean it's easy, right? Um, there will tend to be some groups that are in the majority and some groups that are in the minority. Uh, and in this church, uh, we've got some folks who in the wider culture would be in the majority, but have entered into a minority experience to be a part of this fellowship and this family. Right? We praise God for them. And some of us who have done that as part of our Christian lives, we do well to remember how we have had that experience too. So I had the joyful uh, privilege of having dinner with a, a couple of uh, couples from the church uh, a week or so ago. I won't name them lest they feel embarrassed or, or put upon. Um, and I asked them a question. Honestly, I wish lots of folks had asked me lots of times over the years when I was the minority in a particular space. I said, have you, have you found anything hard about being at ARC? And they thought for a moment. And they were gracious. And I think one of the couples said something along the lines of, uh, you know, we're hearing things that we haven't heard before. Uh, and you guys are kind of free with conversations about those things, and sometimes we're wondering um, if, if we belong, if we should be here. Great question. Anybody ever wondered that? And uh, they described one situation where they were feeling that way, and they turned to a brother or sister, I forget who it was, and kind of asked that question, and the brother or sister did the perfect thing, ridiculed them publicly. <laughs> That's our love language as a church. Ridiculed in public, he joked in publicly about being different, and they said, absolutely, you belong here, right? In all of that diversity and all of that difference, absolutely, you belong here. But then you figure, you, you sort of, I turned to the other couple, asked the same question, and this was a reminder to me that in diverse settings, sometimes if, if you're not sort of in the majority culture, there are even small things that just signal to you that, oh, okay, I'm different, things that you don't know and didn't even know you were supposed to know, right? And they gave me an example. They said the hardest thing for us has been to sing the birthday song. 
<laughs> I see some other heads now. <laughs> it's like we was on YouTube, you know, trying to get that. <laughs> so, so in honor of those who are pressing in to cross boundaries and to reflect the unity of Christ uh, and to honor the culture of those of us who are the majority uh, and in honor of those who had birthdays uh, yesterday or in the past week, we need to sing happy birthday the way we sing happy birthday. All right, so come on, let's, come on, let's stand up. Let's, let's sing. Amos, you done left the keyboard. You don't want me to give the tune. Me, 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 me. <laughs> Here we go. Somebody start us off. Happy birthday to ya. Happy birthday to ya. Happy Hey, there we go. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. I see a brother here this morning all the way from Australia. Even he had it down. <laughs> well done. Well done. All right. That's out my system. Let's, uh, <laughs> the most important thing we do is give attention to God's word. And uh, we want to do that now. So let's offer a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for birthdays and laughter culture and ethnicity and the oneness that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for perseverance and trust and faith and hope and love and our utter dependence upon you. And we thank you, O Lord, for your word, which speaks to us a more sure word of prophecy, which makes clear to us your your greatness, your love, your power, your willingness to save. We thank you for all that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, a kingdom, eternal life, adoption as your children, and things we can't even describe. And so we pray, O oh Lord, that as we look into your word this morning, give us wisdom and understanding, give us faith, hope, and love, give us the riches of the treasure of Christ. Stir us and move us and use us for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in the fifth and final sermon in our series called Five Commitments for 2020. If you are new to Anacostia River Church or visiting with us for the first time, like the Smiths, it's so glad to have you guys here this morning. Um, then you've parachuted in, the, in a series that we do most every year as a way of orienting ourselves to our mission again and coming into the new year, reminded and refreshed about what the Lord has called us to as a church. It's a series on what we call our five M's. Uh, there's a five objectives that define us as a church, each of them beginning with uh, a key word, beginning with the letter M. So our first M is to share the message, the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. Now, it could be that you're here visiting this morning, uh, and you've come to the part of the sermon you were most dreading, the sermon. How long will he be? What will he be talking about? Will it matter? So I want to tell you right now, up front, that this first M, the message of the gospel, is the important, most important thing you will ever hear from me or from any church or from any preacher. So let me give it to you real quickly in just four quick points. And if you want to, take a nap. All right? Here's the message of the gospel. First point, God made you. He made you in his image and his likeness. That as a human being, you are unique among all creation. And as a human being made in God's image, you have dignity, you have worth, you have value, you have purpose, all of which God has designed and given you. You're meant to know God, to walk with God, to serve God, to love God, and God loves you. But number two, 
we've all run into this problem. It's called sin. We all have disobeyed God. And in disobeying God, we have really turned away from him. The ways in which we were designed to reflect his image and his glory, we, we've kind of broken that design. We've twisted it so that now what we want to show forth is our own glory, our own greatness. And we want to live not for God, but for ourselves. We have all gone our own way. That's the heart of sin. And you may not like to be told this, but it's true. You're a sinner, as are all of we. Every human being you've ever met is a sinner and is in danger of God's judgment, his wrath, his punishment, which is forever and righteous. You deserve that because of your sin. We deserve that because of our sin. But then there's the good news. God has not, number three, left us in our sin to suffer judgment without any way of escape. Instead, in order to pay the penalty for our sin so that we wouldn't have to, and in order to make us righteous in his sight and to bring us back to himself, he did the most marvelous thing. He sent his one and only unique son into the world, Jesus Christ, who was God from all eternity past, to take upon himself our humanity and in our humanity do all the things that we did not do in obedience to God. And in our humanity and as our representative to die in our place, suffering God's righteous anger for our sins, not his own. He didn't have any sin. On the cross, he took our place, took our condemnation, took our judgment, died to pay the penalty that we deserve. But the story doesn't end with the cross. He was buried and three days later raised from the grave. And that was God's way of saying to the world, I accept his sacrifice and everything that he has done has accomplished the salvation of everyone who would repent of their sins and believe in him. And that's the fourth thing, beloved. God calls everyone uh, everywhere right now to turn away from their sins. That's repentance. And to put their complete faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their God and their Savior. To rely upon Jesus for their righteousness with God. And to rely upon Jesus to turn away God's anger through his sacrifice on the cross. That's what faith is. It is complete and total reliance upon Jesus. To be your righteousness and to be your sin bearer. And the promise of God is that everyone who repents of sin, puts their faith in Jesus, shall be forgiven, declared righteous, brought back to God in reconciliation, given eternal life and an eternal kingdom with God forever. That's the message that we are committed to. And that's the message that you need to hear this morning if you're not a Christian. It's the message that we hold on to if we are Christians. It's what makes us Christians. And we want to invite you this morning, if you have questions about any of that, talk with us after the service. Hang around. There'll be coffee and muffins afterwards. We'd love to talk with you about that. But if you feel like this morning, even now, you, you hear that and you believe that and you want to put your faith in Jesus, do it right now. Trust in him. For God is mighty to save, as we were singing. That's our first hymn. And without it, we are not a church. Without it, we are not Christians. Without it, it's all over. It's a wrap. There's no other way to God, no other way to heaven, no other way to be forgiven, no other way to be reconciled with God other than that message, the message of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, crucified for the world, resurrected three days, and reigning in glory and coming again. That's our entire hope. But out of it come other things too. If we believe that message, our second M then is then we ought to be people who are marked by mercy. God was merciful to us. 
Now, we must show his mercy in the world to our neighbors, to our neighborhood, all the way to the nations. And more than that, if we have believed that message, God lives in us. And so number three, what we should be doing is maturing in Christ. We should be growing in his likeness and, and, and growing in his character. All living things grow. And that's true of genuine Christians. And number four, as we talked about last week, then we want to multiply. We want to see more Christians brought into the family of God. We want to see more leaders of God's churches trained, established, and sent out. And we want to see more churches um, created. So much so that in our neighborhood and neighborhoods like it, we want the church, real, living, vibrant churches that actually live in the community and work and serve in the community. We want them so plentiful that it would be impossible for any of our neighbors to walk down the street without bumping into the gospel. We want to multiply. And that multiplication is not just domestic. It's also international. We want the gospel to go as public as possible to all the nations, which brings us to our fifth M, the topic of missions. And that's what we want to consider this morning as we look at Titus chapter 3, verses 12 to 15. So if you have your Bibles, look there with me. And uh, I'm going to read it for us in a moment, but I want us to um, consider what it would mean for us to be committed to sending missionaries. I want to suggest to us that it means at least three things. Number one, that we have to train teams of missionaries. We'll get that from verse 12 and 13. Number two, we have to send and support selflessly. To send and support selflessly. And number three, we have to devote ourselves to this good work. We have to be committed, not as an option and something fickle like New Year's resolutions, but we have to be committed because this is a command of God and meant to be an aspect of our character. We have to be devoted to this good work. Titus chapter 3, verses 12 to 15. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith, Grace be with you all. So if we're going to be a church committed to sending missionaries, one of the things we have to be committed to then is training teams. What we see in verses 12 and 13 are the various movements of Paul's missionary team. Five people are listed for us. You see there, Artemis, Tychicus, then you, which is a reference to Titus himself, Zenos, and Apollos. Either Artemis or Tychicus now will go to Crete to relieve Titus of his ministry there for some season. And Titus, it is planned, will come to Paul and spend some time with Paul. Zenos and Apollos also have trips they must make in order to preach the gospel and to establish churches. So the team is going in different directions, crisscrossing the, the Mediterranean and the known world at the time. And the entire section for us, in an interesting sort of way, is, is illustrating that missions is a team sport. So if I'm giving you a, a simple definition for missions, for the purpose of this sermon, it would be something simple like this. Missions is a team effort to spread the gospel and plant churches among foreign nations and peoples. It's how God gets the salt out the salt shaker. He takes his people and he sprinkles them elsewhere to be salt and light and to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to a people and a region that, that don't have the gospel and don't have churches. And it's a team sport. So in the New Testament, there are no Lone Ranger Christians, at least not any that last very long. There are no Indiana Jones missionaries. 
I mean, such a maverick and independent attitude is really contrary to the Bible. Paul almost never does anything alone. He is always ministering in teams, in groups. And and from that, I want to suggest to you about four principles, just looking at these two verses, when it comes to training people um, for the work of missions. First principle is this. Anybody can and should do missions. Anybody can and should do missions. Verse 12 mentions Artemis. This is the only place in the Bible he's mentioned. All we know is that he was on Paul's team. I think Artemis is a good representative of the average missionary. There are almost 4,000 missionaries, for example, in the Southern Baptist Convention. How many of them do you know? (laughs) Almost none of them. It's always been that way. That most of the foot soldiers, most of the, the sort of advanced guard of the gospel are not known to history and not known to churches. They're not famous superstar Christians. They are simply Christians who believe Jesus and obey Jesus and love nations and take the gospel to other people. Most missionaries are unknown and unsung. And so it's a reminder that missions is for ordinary Christians. The Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, 20, it falls upon us all, not just the super spiritual, not just the leaders of the church, but on every believer. So you don't need to be a super Christian to be a faithful missionary. You simply need to be an obedient Christian. For the command is that we would go and make disciples. That's the first principle. Here's the second principle. It seems to me that Paul trains people for missionary enterprise, and we should train by doing. Train by doing. Every every missionary needs to be equipped for the work. And Paul's approach to equipping them appears to be what we would call on-the-job training. He trained people by assigning them to do things relevant to the ministry. There were no seminaries in New Testament times. A person learned the way that Jesus taught his disciples. You traveled with a leader. You observed their life and teaching. You experienced what they experienced. And you did the work of ministry right alongside them. I see a wonderful example of this in Paul's letter to Timothy. So if you will, just flip back a page to your left. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning verses 10 and 11. Notice how Paul describes his relationship with Timothy and how he trained Timothy. 2 Timothy 3, verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching. Not just my teaching, my conduct. Not just my conduct, but my aim in life. My faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. And jump down to verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. He assumes he's referring to himself, and then he goes on to refer to Timothy's mother and grandmother as well. So the best way to prepare for ministry and missions is to learn by doing, working side by side with someone already experienced in the work. If you're not learning by doing now, listen, beloved, there's nothing magical about getting on a plane that will make you equipped and effective then. My friend Max Stiles like to say, there's no missionary training by aviation, right? Chances are you will do on the mission field what you are already now accustomed to doing at home, which is why we want to turn our at-home life into a missional life, so that should the Lord call us to go somewhere, we will already have been in the habit of training and serving and therefore already in the habit of being used by the Lord. We want to stay ready so we don't have to get ready. So part of our commitment to sending missionaries must be, as a church, listen now, developing a culture and a process for training by doing. 
We need to apprentice ourselves to people whose work we find biblical and respectable. That needs to be a principle of how we approach this. A third thing, we want to learn, not only learn by doing, but we want to learn to be good team members. Everything that's happening here, again, is happening in team. So preparing for the mission field, or really any kind of ministry, is not simply about learning some stuff intellectually alone. There are important soft skills that are critical to ministry and missions. We have to be good with people. Surprising to me how many people end up on the mission field who seem to be really socially awkward. Not all that good with people. They may be painfully shy or immobilized by introversion. Or on the other end of the spectrum, they are brash and they barrel socially through every norm and behavior. All kinds of ways to be awkward, beloved. And I think socially awkward people end up on the mission field precisely because of that Lone Ranger Indiana Jones mentality and mythology that often attaches itself to cross-cultural missions. They're fine alone in their own world, and they think that's all it takes to be a successful missionary. A little individual grit and toughness. But to do missions the way the New Testament teaches and models, uh, missionaries must be really good team players. One of the main hindrances on the mission field is precisely this, the inability to work together effectively on teams. You might be surprised how many missionaries get sent home because they're disruptive in teams or surprised to learn how many teams are hindered on the mission field because of the dynamics inside the team that make them dysfunctional. It's a significant issue. Entire teams fall apart. Local people get hurt. The gospel gets hindered. If we're going to be faithful and effective, we have to produce the kind of Christians who know how to be excellent at team. For example, good mission team members, just looking at the text, need to A, know their role, and B, remain flexible. Artemis, for example, is a messenger. He is maybe going to be the one who comes to Crete and delivers a message, an update on Paul, and delivers some relief for Titus. But Apollos is a preacher, an eloquent and a mighty preacher, according to the scriptures. Zenos is a lawyer. They all have roles to play. And Paul says he has decided to winter in Nicopolis. That doesn't seem like it was the original plan. That's why he says uh, they should do their best to, to come to him there. So the team needs to make some adjustments in the, in the middle of doing ministry. They need to be flexible in order to be effective. Role players with flexibility. We need to train to become those kinds of Christians and those kinds of team members when it comes to doing missions, and really any kind of ministry. Which brings us to the fourth principle. Diversify the team. One of the reasons we need missionaries to be skilled at building and serving on teams is because the, the best mission teams are actually culturally and ethnically diverse teams. So not only is the missionary called to take the gospel to a people um, that, that are far often foreign to him, unknown to him, a new culture and a new people, very often he's called to take the gospel to a new people with a team of people that are diverse from him or her, usually her. Let the brothers sit with that. As I said before, we don't know much about Artemis. This is the only place that he's mentioned in the Bible. But we do know something about the ethnic background of the other persons who are mentioned here in this text. Tychicus, for example. Uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 4, says he's an Asian brother. He often serves as a messenger on Paul's team. He was sent to Ephesus to update the Ephesians on Paul in Ephesus 6.21. He's mentioned also in 2 Timothy 4.12. As I said, it's from an Asian background. We also know that Titus... 
according to Galatians chapter 2, verse 3, is Greek. And according to Acts 18, 24, Apollos is Jewish, but he's not actually from Israel. He's born and raised in Alexandria, Egypt. So even though he's Jewish, ethnically and religiously, uh, he actually has grown up in a, in a whole other city and a whole other culture there in northern Africa. He's part of the diaspora. We know Paul is Hebrew of the Hebrews, as well as a Roman citizen. So he's deep-fried Jewish with a cosmopolitan upbringing, right? Now, this is a multi-ethnic, multinational, multicultural team. They're incredibly diverse and, and likely skilled at cross-cultural living. And that's essential to good missions. That's essential to good churches with any appreciable diversity, which is, in fact, the kind of church that Christ is building. So here's how it put it. It takes people from all nations to reach people in all nations. It takes people from all nations to reach people in all nations. The Great Commission was never meant to be fulfilled by one ethnic people, but by every tribe, language, tongue, background. So our training of teams should reflect that flavor if we're going to follow the apostolic example. We should um, make it clear that this enterprise of, of taking the gospel to the world is family business. You're in the family, you're in this business. Anybody and everybody should be involved in missions. Uh, and we need to do this in a way where we train by doing where we learn to be good team players, and where we build diverse teams to reach diverse nations. So what happens when we have teams and individuals trained for the mission? Well, then number two, we have to send them and to support them selflessly. Selflessly. Look with me at verse 13 again. Paul writes there, Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. Verse 13 has a hint of urgency to it because of that word speed. God does not want us to be slow with regard to getting the gospel to the nations. We need to send workers quickly, hastily, speedily. Why? Why speed the worker? because hell is real. People are dying in their sins without Christ. And the only rescue for such people from the day of God's judgment is the gospel. Is hearing the good news that God has loved them and sent his son into the world for them and atoned for their sins by punishing his sons rather than them. And, and hearing the call of that news to then re repent, to turn away from sin, and to put their faith in Jesus. There is no escape from God's judgment except one. And that is this news about the crucified, buried, and resurrected, and returning Son of God. And praise God, there is one way of escape. And the call upon every Christian is to make this known. And to do it quickly. Because hell is real. People really are condemned there. And it is eternal. And it is terrible. But there is a remedy. This news. And so we must speed the missionary to the nations. Uh, and, and we must hasten to make this message flow fast and wide uh, so that people come to hear it. We got to keep the missionary enterprise moving. We got to make sure there are no roadblocks, no log jams, that the pipes don't get clogged, but that we are actually shuttling people as quickly and fastly as we can. Fastly is not a word, but you get it. Fastly as we can to the nations. So not only must we sin because it's urgent and necessary, but notice the kind of people we should send as well. We should send skilled Christians. The mission field is not the place for the novice. 
It's not the place for uh, the person who is, hasn't quite learned how to live well as a Christian and hasn't learned how to sort of um, submit their skills to the lordship of Christ and the purposes of the gospel. The, the team we should send should have people on it with differing skills. Again, Apollos was an, an eloquent and mighty preacher, but Zenos was a lawyer. We don't know if it's an expert in Jewish law. More likely, it's an, an expert in Roman law. In either case, he's an educated, skilled person, and he has taken that education, and he has submitted it to the lordship of Christ, and he has aimed it at the advance of the gospel. So we need more than preachers and evangelists on the mission field. We also need lawyers on the mission field. Think how valuable that would be in defending, for example, religious liberty and protecting missionary teams on the field. But whatever our calling, we need to have an, an urgent sense, listen, beloved, all of us, of sentness. We are all sent. And we need to have a missionary mindset driving our vocation and our career choices. So for all the college students here, have you began to think about your college educations as door openers for the gospel and missions? Uh, maybe you're thinking of serving with some large multinational corporation. Maybe you should pray about seeking not the plum assignment in the United States where there's a church on every corner, but to work in that office in Qatar or India or some other place where the gospel and churches are not plentiful. Have you begin to pray and to think that way? Or, or maybe you're even mid-career and you're thinking about a transition or, or thinking about using this skill you've honed now over maybe a couple of decades, um, not just for uh, meeting your, your personal needs, family needs, and so on, but, but to use it in a way that leverages the advance of the gospel. I think of our brother Alex Cook an attorney who spends uh, many summers teaching law in missions context. His attorney skills gets him into countries that need that skill, but when in that country, he lives like a Christian. He lives to advance the gospel. Or think of our brother Lloyd Matthews, traveling with the college students well beyond college years. He's a skilled carpenter. He's on the Zambia team because missionaries there have asked for carpentry help with some things that they wish to work on. So he's traveling to, to bless them with those skills and while there to strengthen the saints and to help with the advance of the gospel. When we sin, we want to sin highly skilled people sometimes. Another thing here then. When we sin, we want to support selflessly. Don't simply send people, oh, you got to call the missions? All right, deuces. <laughs> Holler at you. Send them with generous support. Notice what the text says there in verse 13. See that they lack nothing. Missionaries must be well supplied. We see the same idea in 3 John. If you want to keep your finger there in Titus and flip it to your right over a few pages to the third letter of John, 3 John, uh, verses 5 to 8. There, the apostle John uh, communicates a very similar idea uh, to, the, to the brothers and sisters that he's writing to. 3 John, verse 5. He says there, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers. Strangers as they are. Now, these brothers there was almost a technical term for these traveling missionaries and preachers. Verse 6, who testified to your love before the church. He says, you, do, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. That, that's the measure right there. We want to send missionaries on their journey in a manner worthy of our great, loving, generous, sacrificial, good God. Verse 7, for they have gone out for the sake of the name. So they've gone to serve Jesus' name 
accepting nothing from the Gentiles, right? So missionaries should not have to try and have their needs met by the people they're trying to reach. Gospel is free, right? Accepting nothing from the Gentiles, verse 8, therefore we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. There's a partnership that happens between those who go for the sake of the name and those who sin in a manner worthy of the name. And we want to sin and do our part in the partnership to such an extent that they lack nothing. They have no needs. So practically, missionaries should never have to wonder where their resources are going to come from. They should never have to wonder where their next meal is going to come from. Missionaries should not have to use their entire sabbatical, their entire furlough, traveling to 500 churches to get $500 from each of those churches. So that what should have been a period of rest has become this exhausting period of shaking hands, kissing babies, doing the same report 1,800 times, only to barely make ends meet in the spread of the gospel. That's to the shame of churches. should never be that way. So this is why we want our philosophy at ARC, it is our philosophy at ARC, to support fewer missionaries at higher levels. We can't support all 4,000 missionaries in the SBC, for example, right? And we don't, get no, we don't get no ribbon if we did, giving them $10 a piece. But we can get five or 10 and give so generously as to be 25% or 50% of the support that they need so that when they come home, maybe they go to three churches, and really get refreshed and cared for and have no worries when they are on the mission field. We want to send ARC in a manner worthy of God so that missionaries lack nothing. Now, sending skilled saints and supporting them selflessly is costly. It's costly. And I'm not thinking here of financial cost. I'm thinking of the emotional and relational cost. A church feels it when good people leave, even for good reasons. Faithful members, they, they feed and build up the body. We are nourished and strengthened by them. So when those faithful members are called by God to a new, a new assignment, it's felt, isn't it? Think for a moment, if you can do it without being discouraged, <laughs> think for a moment of the faithful saints that the Lord has sent out from among us in various gospel preparation, gospel proclamation ministries. The saints from Mercy of Christ. Jeremy McLean, an original pastor in this church, and his wife Tiffany, an excellent sister. Connie Brown, an older praying saint. Patrice Redderburn, literally a lawyer, an attorney with great passion for the people of our neighborhoods and dedicated to encouraging others. Stephanie Muniki, who just has a wonderful heart to serve and just does things without anybody asking. Jody Ash, how she built us up in song, singing with us Sunday to Sunday. Jeff Kelly, an evangelist. Boy, who doesn't need evangelists in their churches? This is some of the folks who went out with mercy of Christ. Or think of those who've gone to other churches uh, to serve as pastors. So we just had the installation of our brother uh, Jahil at Springs of Grace down in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. And pray for them this morning. Even take a quiet moment this morning to pray for them. They are bringing into the church this week six new members. They're celebrating this morning two baptisms. One of the elders said this baptism hadn't been used in a long time. They're feeling the winds of the Spirit and the grace of God there through our brother's ministry. The gospel's being advanced, right? Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Or think of others who've gone off to seminary to prepare. Uh, our, our brother, Niall Wartz, 
And Stacy, faithful members of this church, uh, faithful small group leader, a faithful drummer in the praise team. Y'all remember Niles? Yeah, just playing up there with flip-flops on. Yeah, killing it. And Stacy is wonderful wife, a friend to so many. Or Nicole Noyes. I had the privilege to see her Thursday when I went up to Chicago for a conference. She's at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and equipping herself, preparing herself, wants to be in uh, an Anacostia somewhere, serving, doing the work of the ministry. And LaRonda Graham, whom we've only loaned to Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. What a friend she is to so many. And a caregiver and a, a gentle heart. People like that leave, you feel it. And those who've gone to other churches as part of their preparation, Sarah Pankratz is with Eric So at, at Peace City Church, uh, a church planted uh, right in the middle of a refugee community. Sarah wants to be on the mission field in India, uh, Lord willing, at some point. And, and that just seemed wise to us as pastors and to her to go and, as I said before, learn by doing. Do the work now. So that when you make that transition across cultures and countries, you're already in the groove. Or Ben and Marion Brophy over at Delray Baptist Church, preparing through their pastoral internship for pastoral ministry. I hope Garrett is listening to this sermon because he's a sheep stealer. <laughs> we, we miss them, right? So that's 16 people who themselves would make a dynamite church planning team. Those are all people you can, you can build a church with, beloved. Those are all people you can take a country with in, in missions work. And we, we felt it when every one of them left. And if we're not careful, we can flinch and clench. We can flinch and clench when we think about someone leaving for the advance of the gospel. But here's the thing. The more selfish we are in clinging to them, the less the gospel grows in other places. And more than that, the more selfish we are about keeping good people, the more their leaving will hurt us when they do go. We can't hold them so tightly that God can't move them when he wants to. And so it hurts I love the quote attributed to Corey Ten Boom, who had worked so hard to save Jewish persons from the persecution of the Nazis. Uh, she once said, hold everything in your hands lightly. Otherwise, it hurts when God pries open your fingers. Don't make God pry open your hand in order to get out of it something he wishes to use elsewhere. Hold things tightly relationships, resources, everything, excuse me, hold them lightly so that God may use them as he wishes. So here's the perspective I want us to have as a church. I want us to be more interested in the growth of the gospel than we are in the growth of our membership. We'll be more interested in the growth of the gospel now we are in the growth of the numbers of people who are in the membership of this church. We think Jesus is winning whenever he sends some of our best people away to take the gospel to a place where it's not known. That's a win for Team Jesus. We're on Team Jesus. We're not on Team ARC. Right? We're not... We're not primarily concerned about whether or not we swell up and fill this auditorium and then have to build a mega church and then have to go to five services because when you do that I'm resigning I got one sermon each Sunday alright all right? so, so what we are interested in is the advance of the good news and that does not require everybody be a member of this church it can't require that because there are too many people there there are too many people in the 10 square blocks around this school to get in here. So this is why I ain't mad if somebody wants to plant a church a mile down the road. Why? Because in that city mile are tens of thousands of people who all need the gospel. And we are not in competition with churches for members. We're in competition with Satan for souls. 
and missions is our strategy. So when, when, when God sends people and people go, we have to have the perspective you find, for example, on professional football teams. Somebody gets traded, somebody gets hurt. Well, you'll hear in the practice field on the sideline is next man up. Next man up, right? All of us are in here, and, and when someone else is called to go somewhere, then I think correspondingly is a call to those of us who remain to step up, to fill the gap, pour ourselves out. Next woman up, next man up, next child up. Keep the gospel moving for the blessing of the nations. Now, this is especially true, next person up, as it relates to our personal relationships. Because whenever good people leave, guess what they leave? A relational hole. They've been connected to 15, 20, 30 people. Sometimes you don't even know how many people they're connected to until they're gone. And then people who had been primarily connected with that person all of a sudden feels the isolation and the setback. And oh man, I got to start over with friendships. That ain't happy. That's sometimes hard. Especially if you're already the kind of person who finds it hard to build relationships. That person goes, you fill the void. So now we want to be a congregation that learns to recognize that when God sends someone off someplace else for another station, another mission, there are people who are here who were impacted and affected and encouraged by that person, and we need to step up and find them and include them and care for them and fill that hole as family so that, you know, we don't find ourselves alienated and struggling alone. You tracking with me? Okay, I need a more committed yes. Are you tracking with me? All right, that sounded better. Okay, moving to point number three. So we have to train teams. We have to send skilled people and support them selflessly. And number three now, we have to devote ourselves to this work, to the work of missions. Verse 14, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. We mentioned this verse last Sunday or a couple Sundays ago when we were thinking about mercy. But it's worth noting again. We should commit ourselves to doing every kind of good work. That's what's meant there by verse 14, I think. Material and spiritual. But the greatest good work, the, the greatest act of mercy, beloved, uh, we can commit ourselves to is sending missionaries to unreached and unengaged peoples on the planet. I like the way John Piper puts it because I, I think it holds together two, these two truths really well. He says, we care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. As Christians, we care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. And what that means is we don't want to be the type of Christians who say, we got to get people saved while turning a blind eye to neighbors who are suffering in other ways. And at the same time, we don't want to be the kind of Christians who say, hey, our community has so many needs. I'm going to work on this. And at the same time, turn a blind eye to people who are perishing without Christ. No, we, we want to be whole Christians who embrace the, the whole mission of doing every kind of good work, caring, yes, in mercy for material needs around us, but, but caring ultimately and passionately also for spiritual needs. For Jesus asked this question, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So the most valuable possession any person we ever meet has is their soul, according to Jesus. And we can meet every need that they have in this life. But if they lose their soul, they have lost everything. So we should be the kind of people who help to meet needs. Don't shrink back from that. But we should also be the kind of people who were locked in with like a laser scope on the preciousness of the soul and the necessity 
of helping people hold on to that thing which is most valuable, which they cannot replace. A soul united to God through faith in Christ. And so we want to be people who care about all the needs that we come into contact with, especially, especially the spiritual need. Because as we said before, hell is real. Hell is forever. And so missions is urgent. So how are we doing as a church? We'll conclude with a little bit of a an assessment. How are we doing at devoting ourselves to this good work of missions? What's, what's been our progress to date? We've always wanted missions in the DNA of the church. That meant we, that meant we always wanted a, a portion of our budget invested in gospel spreading uh, church planning efforts beyond ARC and beyond the borders of this country. So practically in our first two years, we we set aside 10% of our budget to go to missions. So 10% of the offerings that come into the church were dedicated to international and local missions. Uh, we're simply following the principle that we would encourage every Christian in to set aside 10% of their income, at least, uh, to, to give to the work of the Lord in the local church, right? And then to give beyond that as the Lord prospers, Many folks would have come to us in those early days and said, well, no, you guys are a new church plant. You're just trying to get established. Uh, you, you probably shouldn't be sending money out in missions. You probably just be collecting money. Well, that's worldly wise. I mean, it's my experience that the more you give out, the more the Lord supplies. If you're faithful with little, he'll make you faithful with much. All right, so we can't set aside his last commandment because we're feeling a little insecure about our finances. If the money's funny, he the one who owns cattle on a thousand hills. Why are we tripping? Right? So he's like, no, we, we want to give to the work of missions. And so our total missions giving uh, for local and international missions, you can, you can see that there on the slide. Um, in our first year, uh, the first nine months, 2015, we didn't have any relationships with any missionaries. We didn't send any monies out. What we did was we rolled it over to the next year. Our next year, we had built a relationship with Tim Bird, and at that time, Johannesburg, South Africa. He's now in Lusaka. That's the, the missionary that the, um, the, the missions team is going to support next month. Um, Tim had um, financial needs, so we support him uh, each year financially. Um, but he also had some special projects going on. He wanted to train some South African men for ministry to bring them on staff, uh, and they needed a ministry car. So we contributed to the car, and we gave him funds to start up um, the training of those young South African men. That was in 2016. Still had some funds, uh, rolled over into 2017. And you'll see what um, the Lord did through the church in 2017. And local and international missions sent out uh, $91,000 in support of a number of missionaries and organizations doing the work of spreading the gospel uh, abroad. 2018, 86,000. 2019, 86,000. Now, I look at that and go, we're just a baby church. Praise be to God for what he's been doing there. Praise be to God. So we support, um, well, I'll get to who we support in just a moment, but, but just to give this to you in, in a little bit of perspective, in the Southern Baptist Convention, there are over 47,000 churches. Over 47,000 churches. Uh, and the sort of missions giving in the convention, uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, totaled, you may not be able to see that, I didn't put it up there. I forget what the number was. It was a lot of money. That's what it averaged out. I forget what the total was. But just to get a sort of a rough average, um, I divided that total giving by the number of churches, 47,000, and the average church gives about $36,000 a year to missions. Praise God. That's not bad. But if you want a benchmark for how we're doing, we are ahead of the curve by God's grace. And through your generosity. And I'm believing that as we are faithful with what he's given to us, he'll make us faithful with more. To see the gospel advanced and spread. We have, as I said before, divided our, our, our missions funding between local and uh, international work. 
And so you'll see some of the folks that we have supported locally in ministry, uh, Jonathan Morgan, uh, Alex Woods, Kayla Cooper Gamble, uh, all on staff with our college ministry. You know we had a college ministry? That's right. It's called Campus Outreach. Um, and, and these are part of our staff. We share that ministry with CHBC and uh, a couple of other churches trying to reach the campuses in the D.C. area. We have these staff working over at Howard University. Uh, and if HU is in the house, wait, where y'all at? HU? <laughs> All right. And uh, also GW. GW in here? I love the way GW always be like, <laughs> GW always raise their hand, be like, excellent, be like, we don't want no trouble, Pastor. <laughs> so we praise God for that. And we've been able to add and, and hope to continue to support a couple of new workers. Um, the Lord has sent workers to us as members, and now we're trying to partner with them. Uh, Ashley Davenport, uh, who's leading ministry with Young Life in South Arlington. Uh, we continue to support Jeremy McLean with a church plant up in Northeast. And on the international side, we've grown from Tim Bird to Brenton and his family, uh, who are doing gospel work in the Middle East, right on the Horn of the Peninsula. And from that spot, sending the gospel to many Middle Eastern countries. Matt and Stacy Swanson, also members of the church, spend their summers doing cross-cultural missions, training high school-age people, uh, Christians, to go and spread the gospel uh, abroad. We are glad to partner with them. And in the last year, we've also partnered with Lloyd and Jan Chin. Uh, some of you have met them. Jan was our women's conference speaker last year. Uh, Lloyd has come up and done a missions workshop for us. They were an organization called World Venture. They oversee 14 countries uh, in Africa, most of Southern Africa, uh, Eastern and Western Africa. And so it's a privilege to partner with them as they mobilize missionaries uh, on the continent. And then we try to set aside some funds every year for short-term mission trips. We, we don't want um, finances to be an uh, a sort of hindrance to keep people from the mission field. So I learned something a few years ago from another church called Johnson Ferry uh, down in Atlanta, big old church, just sending out missionaries all the time. There's some like 60 short-term trips a year kind of thing. They have a policy that basically uh, they will cover 50% of the cost of a mission trip for any member uh, who needs that support. And we have adopted that policy as a church. Now, we encourage folks to raise the funds and things of that sort, but we want to stand as a church to, to make sure that if God has equipped somebody from Southeast or Northeast or what have you to share the gospel, to do the work of missions, um, we don't want money to be the thing that keeps them from doing what God has called them to do. We want to partner with them in that way. So that's, that's, those are some of our sort of commitments as a church when it comes to missions. And if I ask the question, how are we doing? Man, I think we're doing really well. Just really encourage. Pray for yet more fruit and pray uh, for yet more generosity. I want to encourage us and challenge us, even though we're doing well. I want us to make it our ambition that we never turn away a missionary who shares our, our theology and ministry philosophy, who shares our passions from the for the na nations, that we commit ourselves to never turning them away when they're needing support. That God would make that our ambition to find a way to support everyone and anyone he sends to us um, who, is, who is really zealous for the work of the gospel. How might we put that in the goal? Well, in 2018, in this same series, January 2018, when we talked about this, here's how I put this as a goal, that God would grow our international missions work to the point where we could support 10 long-term, full-time missionaries uh, serving in cross-cultural settings uh, at at least $10,000 per missionary, right? So if it takes about forty dollars to $50,000 for people to be on the mission field comfortably, depending on family size and all that good stuff, we, we want to be sort of playing into about 20 25% of that to start with. The Lord would give us a, a new $100,000 over the course of five years so that we could support 10 more missionaries in this way and see the gospel go forward. Now, how do you respond to that? Seem like a lot? To who? To us? Certainly not to God. It's nothing's too hard for the Lord. 
So let's pray and give and work with this kind of God-sized ambition, and we'll be surprised at how he does exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. So let me end this series and end this sermon with three commitments I want to ask you to make and a concluding thought. Number one, I want to invite and encourage every Christian to commit to training now by doing by learning to work in teams, and by developing cross-cultural competencies. We need everybody in the game. It's not the kind of game where there are only five starters or only 11 starters. It's the kind of game where everybody gets to play and needs to play. All right, so we need the whole game, the whole team in the game, training and readying and serving for that day when the Lord might call us on to the next chapter. Number two, want us to commit, as we've been talking about, to sending missionaries in a manner worthy of God so that they lack nothing. And so as you think about your own personal finances, you think about any discretionary income you have, you think about any windfalls that might come your way, offer them to the Lord first. Ask the Lord, how much of this should I keep? Assuming that it all belongs to you and I should give it all. How much of it should I keep? And then let the Lord guide you in making that decision. You don't make that decision based on what other people give, right? You make that decision based upon how the Lord has been working in your own life. Number three, commit to giving generously and sacrificially so we can meet the urgent need of sending gospel workers. The three commitments I want to invite us to. And to conclude, I want us to very quickly summarize the, the sort of commitments and challenges that we've thought about in these five weeks. I want to ask you to imagine something. Imagine if each of us shared the gospel at least once every week. Imagine if each of us did some good work every day. And imagine if we each help someone else grow in Christ. Imagine that we each committed ourselves to being spiritually qualified to be leaders in God's church if and when he should call us. And imagine that we trained for missions and gave sacrificially to urgently send. Is there a neighborhood or a state or a country that could hold us? Imagine. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the call you have placed on our lives. You've called us out of darkness into light, into the kingdom of your dear son, made us ambassadors of Christ and sent us to to plead with the world. Indeed, you have been making your plea through us to the world to come be reconciled to you. We pray, O Lord, give us grace to be faithful over the small thing that you have given us and make us faithful should you trust us with more. We only want you to trust us with more if you, if you prove us to be trustworthy. And we pray that you would multiply everything that you have given us for the glory of your name and for the blessing of our neighbors and for the salvation of the nations. Thank you for Titus. Thank you for your word. Lead us and guide us by it, we pray. Do great things for your namesake, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.